So what you need to do is start actually encouraging men to not only take, you know, paternity leave, but also work flexibly, work from home and understand that men are also fathers. They're also sons with elderly parents who need care. There are also people in the community that need to give back in all different ways that their involvement in those roles will actually help enhance, let's say, productivity because they can bring in a lot of that learning that they've done outside of work into the workplace. A very warm welcome to the Big Career Small Children podcast. I've set up this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program because I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children in a way that works for you. Today's podcast guest is the extremely interesting Professor He Jung Chung. She is Professor of Sociology and Social Policy and author of the excellent and very thought-provoking book, The Flexibility Paradox. You know, I love to interview people who have really new and fresh ideas, and she definitely is one of them. She's offering a completely different perspective in that she feels we shouldn't be grateful for being offered flexibility, but that we actually need to be fully aware that it can lead to exploitation and sometimes even self-exploitation. She and I chat about our own journeys with flexible working, and she shares what she has learned about avoiding that exploitation when you work flexibly. And we talk about how she practically manages to do a very demanding academic job nine to five. And actually she got promoted while doing that, which is extremely impressive and specifically in academia, which is notorious for crazy work hours. And note to say that the application deadline for the fellowship is coming up on 1st of March. If you do enjoy listening to this podcast, but you would like to connect with others in an active community of like-minded peers, people who want to change things for others, who want to progress their own careers, who have big dreams but don't quite know how to make them happen, then definitely check it out. It's leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship. If you have any questions, you can send me or my team a message or arrange a call. You get a senior leader mentor, a super supportive, diverse community of peers who are all equally ambitious about their careers, but do it in different ways. And obviously, world-class access to information and support to progress your career. And we usually have at least 10% of our spaces as financial hardship spaces. So hopefully that should mean that no one needs to lose out because of financial challenges. So definitely have a look, leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship. And now I'm really hoping that you enjoy today's conversation. A very warm welcome, He Jung, to the podcast. I am thrilled I managed to convince you to come on as a very busy author and scholar. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, what you do, and who is in your family? Okay, so my name is He Jung Chung. I'm professor in sociology and social policy at the University of Kent and author of the upcoming book, Flexibility Paradox, published by Policy Press. I'm also a mom of a nine-year-old girl who's fantastic, but also of an almost four-year-old cat and one-and-a-half-year-old crazy street dog <laughs> who's living with us since lockdown and, and obviously with a partner. And I do like to highlight some of the other things in my life because, you know, work isn't just about work and families and, you know, women especially forget that there's another part, which is about leisure. And so I'm a bassist in a punk band <laughs> and I play football and futsal, which is indoor football and a under nines football coach as well. Amazing. I love that you're bringing in your 
whole self, as they like to say. Yeah. You've written a really interesting book on flexibility at work called The Flexibility Paradox. What got you interested in this topic? Can you remember the moment? Well, I always been interested in flexible workings or, or working patterns. I was born in Korea. I was raised in the U.S. and then came back to Korea. But then after that, especially after kind of for my postgraduate work, was in you know Scotland and the Netherlands, lived in Germany, was doing a lot of research visits in Denmark. And the idea of work having to really facilitate people's lives was a really key theme. And of that, this idea of having giving workers more control over when and where they work seemed fantastic, right? But then you see that academics who are really exemplary people who have that control, really working themselves to death, really, almost with burnout and all sorts of problems. And then it does pose a question of why is it that people with more control If you think about the economic rational choice theory that they should be expanding their leisure, working harder, longer, and cultivating such a, and what can be considered a very harmful working culture, very long hours work and work devotion. So that's kind of where I think the interest really started from. And then wanting to try to provide a bit more of a meaningful analysis of it and looking at it large scale to see whether or not this is something very particular of certain groups of the population or if it's something that we could find across a larger groups of population. And of course, the question then becomes, is it across the world or is this very, maybe let's say, neoliberal Anglo-Saxon focused cases? Mm -hmm. Interesting. And the basic premise of the book is, and now you can check if I've understood it or not, but it is that flexibility is advertised to us as this great solution to all our work-life balance challenges. But actually, your thesis is that it can lead to us exploiting ourselves much more than if we're working normal working pattern. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why I have to write this now is because Especially when it first started, like in the 2000s, but even now, like, it is sold to us as I like that some sort of panacea to solve workers' work-life balance problems, but also solve gender equality. And it's the packaging of that. You see that, like, for example, in the European Commission Work-Life Directive, but all sorts of kind of policy initiatives like, oh, flex working, we could just put that in there and then everything will be solved. The patterns we see is that I use the word self-exploitation and that once you start blurring the boundaries of time and physical space between work and private life, maybe family life or, or leisure time, given the context we live in, which is that of increased competition, increased insecurity, but most importantly, that where individuals are perceived or made to perceive that the risk that you carry in the labor market is that of your own, that you should be the ones that have to make sure that you're an entrepreneurial self. You have to make always sell yourself. You have to be competitive. And that even with the welfare states now, the state will not, and family and other the networks, will not necessarily provide you with that security once you become less competitive. That blurring of boundaries of time and space really leads you to expand work, work harder and longer. And it also cultivates a culture where workers are available all the time and everywhere, rather than you using that flexibility to enhance work-life balance or enhance your like leisure time. But again, this is not something that you'll find across countries. But what you also find, again, relating to that gender inequality pattern, that 
social normative views about men and women's roles in our society shape the way how we exploit ourselves. So men are more likely to be able to exploit themselves more in the workplace, which means that working from home or flexi time or schedule control tend to lead to more longer hours and work intensity for men, but not necessarily women. And that is only because women are expected to still be the main carers of families and carers of children, which means that they are pushed in a way, or they they feel like they can, they to use that flexibility to extend their family responsibilities. And even if you don't feel like you need to, there is an assumption that you will have to, you should use that flexibility to engage more in childcare and housework, which in combination, when you get flexible working, leading to men working longer hours, paid work, and women working more in the household or doing more of the childcare responsibilities, you end up with enhancing gender inequality patterns or what we consider traditionalization of gender roles through flexible working. That is so true. And there's something I'm sure every woman who's been expecting a child can relate to in that you will be asked, if you're working full-time, you'll be asked, so are you going down part-time or even will you stop work? And my partner and I, when I was expecting my first baby, we did a tally of how often he would get asked that question, which was exactly zero, mm. and how often I would get asked that question, which was 17 <laughs> times. All the, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's part-time was one way that women were kind of adapted to that family demands. And now what's happening is, on one hand, it's like this. So working flexibly, so being able to work from home and working flexi time enabled women to not work part-time, right? So because if you don't have to do the commute and if you could have like flexible schedules, or start a bit earlier and end a bit earlier or start a bit later and end a bit later, you are much more able to kind of fit more hours of work into your life, even when you have the children. And that's kind of what happened to me when I had my baby, my daughter, no longer a baby, <laughs> nine years ago, nine and a half years ago, I came back to work full time when she was six months old. And that was only possible because I was able to work from home and work flexi time. So we had someone taking care of her in the mornings, some of the mornings while I worked from home. While I still kept an eye on her, she was in nursery in the afternoons. But I knew it, and I fitted work around, so I kind of picked up work in the evenings, etc. So I was able to go full time, and that's something that we find in a lot of cases of women. If you give women that flexibility, they're able to keep their working hours while kind of meeting their family demands. The problem is, like, that's a great thing. Like, that is a great example of why flexible working can really enhance gender equality and help support mothers. And I applaud that. And I think this is one of the reasons why I think flexible working should be the norm. The problem is, what happens then? So a lot of times when men work from home, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners who've gone through the pandemic have experienced this, men kind of work in an office space, closed doors away from children, focus on work and work possibly longer hours than they would have been in the office. Moms, on the other hand, they're expected to be always available for childcare and housework when they're working from home by their children, by their partners. And they usually work in the communal spaces and essentially are expected to fit in not only paid work, but also housework and childcare when they work from home. Now, the problem with that 
is employers think this way as well. And the result of it is that when mothers work from home or work flexi time, they usually will be perceived as someone not being able to really devote themselves to work, which means that it comes with career penalties. Whereas father's flexible working is considered to be something more, let's say, performance driven. So they might end up, and we have actually seen through German data as well as UK data that they could end up getting income premiums. Mother's flexible working doesn't necessarily, and even it ends up with career penalties. And it doesn't matter what they do with it. And actually that, you know, homeworking mothers could be incredibly productive. And I think that is the case. And this is something we know from the data with part-time working. Part-time working women are incredibly productive and they're probably per hourly productivity excel most other workers who, especially those who work 60 plus hours a week. But it's just a assumption behind those hours that pushes them to experience those career penalties. Very interesting. Well, I don't want to hear what you're saying there. It really jars with me. You know, I mean, it's really sad that that is what you found in your research. But if it is the reality, then we just need to accept that and find a way to deal with that so that we can change it for the better as a society. But yeah, well, thank you for doing this research. It's obviously very important. I think there's something about the deep work that if you want to progress your career, you probably do need to work on something quite big and deep, like writing a book rather than just mm-hmm. doing lots of small things. And if you have kids running back and forth, and then that's challenging. I think there's the other element, which is the expectations of employers of dads. So I will never forget this dad who was nearly in tears, who was on our fellowship program, and he's just come back from maternity leave after a month or so, paternity leave, I should say. And he told me his employer just expects him to get on as he normally would. And mm. that's not how he wanted life to be, but there is this different expectation. Mm. You talked about career penalties for women. Can you just say a bit mm. more about that? Essentially, so flexible working, there's this thing called flexibility stigma. The idea that flexible workers, especially flexible working for care purposes, is stigmatized. Stigmatized because those workers are considered less productive, less motivated, less committed to the workplace. Now, we know from the empirical evidence, from data, that's not the case. Flexible workers, people who are able to work flexibly and have better work-life balance, are the most committed workforce you will find. They're motivated, and in many cases, they're more productive. Although I know I do get your point about deep work and that there might be kind of issues around focus and concentration. But again, you know, the data kind of points to the fact that in most cases, you do gain productivity rather than lose it, or, or there will be no loss in productivity at the minimum. But it's just that the way that society works, we don't necessarily look at objective facts, but we are guided by social norms, about social norms, about what we think or believe to be the case. This is why we look at mothers and regardless of the mother's productivity level, we assume that she'll be less productive because our societal assumption is that her priority lies with children in the household. And in similar ways, people who are working flexibly to enhance their work-life balance, there's a, a bit of an assumption, not just by managers, but also by colleagues that, oh yeah, their priority lies in work-life balance and family And therefore, you're less productive without considering the fact that when you have that work-life balance, when you are able to kind of fulfill your life, not only at work, but in other things, that you can actually be more productive. You could be much more creative and provide real added advantages, not only to your work, but for the whole team. 
But because of those stigmatized views, these workers are the ones that end up with career penalty, maybe not getting that promotion or getting that income raises, et cetera, compared to those, let's say, who are going into the office, working long hours and doing that presenteeism performance, I'd like to say. <laughs> no, I think it's so important that you've brought this out. Obviously, I designed the fellowship program for Leaves with Babies quite a while before you've done this important research. But I think that's exactly it, because automatically people make assumptions about you. You do then need to do that. And in addition to doing your job, you then need to do that extra work of circumventing whatever assumptions people have. And I think that's why, obviously, with, with our fellowship program, we look at the research around how you do cause yourself to be progressing in your career. and But also just, I think, finding some very supportive peers, be that with the fellowship or in some other shape or form. Because you are automatically, you know, you, yeah. want, you want to fight so, against being on that back foot, I think. Yeah. So what you, one of the things that you see as examples of this, so it's like people who are working from home, like being much more on the email than if you were in the office, for example. So like you're sending off those emails, you know, left, right and center to show like, you know, I'm here, I'm always available, which is, as all of us know, is not the most effective way of dealing with emails because a lot of times just generate a lot of email clock. But again, this is a performance thing. And as you say, one of the key things is that it generates additional performative work which is actually not conducive for enhancing productivity or meeting those key performance indicators of the company. And it is just purely based on the fact that we as society, despite, you know, again, in advancement in flexible working or advancement in some, the introduction of certain family policies, we're still under, and majority of our societies, and I know that there are variations, majority of our societies and work cultures are still based on this very long hour equals best type of work culture. And there is still this ideal worker culture, which is someone who doesn't have any other responsibilities outside of work and is, can really devote themselves on 24-7 only to work as someone being ideal. Where again, I think we are now at a point where we just we just have so many evidence, so many empirical evidence. So many of scholars have shown that that's not the case. And we can sit here and tell, let's say, mothers or anyone who is a part of the Leadership Plus or listening to the podcast, okay, these are the five tips for you to make sure that no one feels like you are like that stigmatized flexible worker. So, you know, respond to emails quickly. We could do that, right? But that's not going to really tackle the underlying cause. The underlying cause is that we need to really start dismantling our ideas about productivity, about the ideal worker, and about what our key performance indicators are. And I know many people are not in that position to make those changes, but some people are. And if you really want a productive workforce who is creative, who will be able to adapt to the changes that we will see in the future in terms of automation, in terms of the challenges of all sorts, you will have to really accept the fact that a better work-life balance, a worker that is integrated, not only at work, but integrated into family, into society, into the community, will provide you with better outcomes than someone who is only doing work. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I'm picturing someone who's listening to this and who may have senior leaders in their organization who may not have thought of it and they might do exactly what you're saying saying let's introduce a flexible working policy and then our gender equality issue will be fixed so aside from giving them your book to read is, is there yes, some, my book <laughs> is there somewhere else that we could direct 
those individuals to so that they can actually see that flexible working is linked to at least equal if not more productivity just so that we can help people not having to all the time having to make the argument well i mean i was thinking of actually writing a small book for workers to carry around and to shove in front of the manager's faces to just be like, hey, you need that evidence for this. So, I mean, I do outline some of that, you know, long list of literature that does show these results of productivity. Again, enhanced or maintained productivity, despite, if you want, in quotation marks of flexible working. But you mean just more recently, you could see that during the pandemic, my own research with managers as well as workers, but the Chartered Institute for Personnel Development, Chartered Management Institute, all produced reports essentially saying that homework during the pandemic, which was the hardest part of many of our lives due to all sorts of reasons, including having children home, having increased stress, having all sorts of problems, not having a lot of the infrastructure that we used to rely on. Despite that, showing equal level, if not enhanced productivity. So I don't think really that is the issue. One of the things I guess what we need to talk about more so, and especially if senior leaders are listening out there, is really have a think about, flexible working is great, but if you're going to introduce that, think about what your key performance indicators are. What is it that you as a company really need to achieve? Is it bums on seats and long hours of bums on seats that is going to be an indicator of success for your company or your teams? If you believe in that, I guess this podcast is not for you, <laughs> but that you will have maybe customer satisfaction, may it be certain outputs, may it be sales. I think this is a time and we're talking about a range of new policy innovations at the company level and at the country level in terms of flex working, working from home, full working from home, maybe mostly working from home or hybrid working, but also four day week. So there's a lot of policy innovations coming out. What you need to think about when you do that, the foremost thing you need to think about is what is the goals that we want to meet as a team or a company? And some of the indexes or measurements that we used before in the old ways of working may not be useful anymore. So you need to start publishing clear guidelines as to what the key goal is for that company, taking fully into account that as a company, you do have social responsibilities, maybe for the environment, for social issues. So taking those into account, what is it that you want to achieve? What is going to let you achieve those things? And then once you have those in place and introduce flexible working, it will be fantastic. Talking about gender inequality patterns, and I did mention how flexible working, when used in the wrong way or not done in the most appropriate way, it can enhance gender inequality patterns. One of the things you have to be aware of is that what is the rationale behind flexible working? A lot of people still think this as a diversity tool, like you know, EDI tool. And it is, but it isn't really. It's, it should really be about trying to think about ways to ensure that your workers can do the best job they can, right? And it need not be women. Men want to work flexibly. Men want to spend more time with family. I think the loudest messages that we have heard through the pandemic, and this has been kind of brewing for years, is that men with young families, as in young children, are so desperate to spend more time with their children. They are so desperate to take a more equal division of housework with their partners. And that makes sense also because it is so much more beneficial for both of you to be taking part in the labor market equally for future financial purposes as well. But they are unable to own it because they are so afraid of that flexibility stigma, as I mentioned, because they still feel like they're the main breadwinners and 
because your partners had to work part-time or get that career penalty already, like if they lose their income, this is really going to cause severe problems. So they are fearing the use of flex working. It's not that they don't want to use it, but managers think that just because men are not asking for it actively as if only women want to use it. So what you need to do is start actually encouraging men to not only take you know, paternity leave, but also work flexibly, work from home, and understand that men are also fathers. They're also sons with elderly parents who need care. There are also people in the community that need to give back in all different ways that their involvement in those roles will actually help enhance, let's say, productivity because they can bring in a lot of that learning that they've done outside of work into the workplace. And only then can you then see a bit more of a gender equality pattern between men and women when they work flexibly because it won't be just women or women's responsibility to care when working flexibly, but it's for both men and women. Agreed. I think every organization should report on not only how many flexible working requests are agreed, as opposed to those that are turned down, and then also what percentage of men, women, or other genders for that matter, yes, get them. I think that would be extremely important. I know for a fact that there are HR and senior leaders listening to this podcast. So if there was one thing that they could do this week to start putting your research into practice, what would you want them to do? Okay, so the first thing is about KPI really as teams or as a company, start really looking at your KPIs and the measures that you use for promotion practices or when you're looking at applicants. But the second thing, you know, if I were to have another one is to really look at flexible working patterns or practices, who's making those requests, who isn't making those requests. And what you could do about it is one key thing is, again, encourage those senior men, especially, to use it for care practices. Highlight some of these real success stories of, let's say, senior men who work from home or work flexibly for care purposes, and to show how flexibility is not at odds with productivity or performance, because it isn't. And I could show you examples, but you know, I think it is really the HR and, and you know, really the C-suite, really, to show an example of this. So you really need to eliminate that stigmatized views about flexible working for care purposes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I really think so often people tell me, I don't know who's out there who's doing that. But for example, just to say Dominic Holmes or Dom Holmes, who also has been a podcast guest, he's a partner in a law firm and he takes off every Friday, I think, to look after his daughter. And that just shows in a very target-driven environment, you can absolutely do it. And there are role models out there. So, yeah, go and do it. And I think the problem is, is that a lot of the times there are the people who do it, but because, as I said in the beginning, like this whole ideal worker culture where you have to be always available, you have to be always on, people almost hide it and, and try to hide it very effectively. And you see examples of people you're working, but you're, you, know, you, you might be actually taking care of children, but you know, you're like constantly on the phone, which is like, which is also not great for your, your, you know, the relationship with children or your spouse, et cetera. And for what is again, it's not really enhancing your performance, but it's performative. And yes, we as society, you know, the way we interact is a lot to do with performance, but if it's not helping the company, it's not helping you or your family. Like we really need to feel, start thinking about why we're doing this. Mm, very true. Let me ask you about your personal adjustments. So you said you work flexibly as an academic, as most people do in that area. You work very long evenings and you try to have life at the same time. 
How have you changed your own life having done that research? Well, I have to say, so in previous times, right before my my child was born, I did work, well, maybe like long evenings, etc. One of the things that I did during my PhD was to actually change to a more of a nine to five kind of routine because my then supervisor, I was in the Netherlands and the Dutch actually are really good in terms of keeping clear boundaries and going home early and really focusing on family, by the way, but being one of the most productive, hourly productivity in the world, like in, one of the most productive, including in academia as well, by the way. So my supervisor did encourage me to kind of not work in the evenings, which I did. And, you know, he said, if it doesn't work out, then you could go back to your old ways. And of course, he was right. I was much more productive. But especially when my child came along, I realized, and this is something that I want everybody to think about. When we think about time, we don't think about how limited it is. It's limited in that we all die at one point. Sorry, you know, (laughs) sorry to break the news to you, but we all die. And we don't know. And they know some of us, it might not be very long. And there's only 24 hours a day and seven days a week, 365 days a year. So we really want to make sure that that limited amount of time is used effectively for, you know, again, that provides value, value to yourself, value to the company as well, but also value to society and your family as well. Once you start thinking about that and the limitedness of time, you realize how that, again, that performativeness of that long hours is really useless and how also... (laughs) For me, especially with a young child, and I'm both moms and dads of young children, you know, like time is really limited when you have young children, because even if you do rely on a lot of childcare support, you do need to be there at certain times and you do have a limited amount of time a day because you're just so in demand. So I started being really efficient per hour. So I really just focused on work when I was at work, but not worked in the evenings especially knowing that when I did try to work in the evenings, I was unproductive during the day. And you realize that actually using that limited time and using it for a wide range of things and, you know, having hobbies, having a good night's sleep, making sure that you do spend that quality time with your family actually helps you being that productive person during that working day, working hours, and potentially more so than you trying to squeeze in a couple more hours over emails at night. And you had Alex Pang over as a podcast guest as well. And he's written a lovely book that I, I really almost, you know, encourage everybody to read Rest, which outlines the key factors in being very productive during the day, especially for those of us who are doing more than knowledge center work, creative work. These kind of brain activities do not just happen by you sitting in front of the computer for a long time. Actually, it's counterproductive. So a lot of the problem solving is only done if you were to, again, sleep well, have downtime and have what he likes to call deliberate rest, which I think is really important because your brain has a way of functioning that you do a lot of that problem solving in the background while you're doing something else. And I think, again, one of the things is you have to move your body for your brain to work. You have to be doing that emotional work for your your cognitive abilities to work. And I think we just tend to forget that. Mm. And I think it needs to be rest that is guilt-free, rest that you're really giving yourself permission to for it to be really restful. So I love that reminder, Hee-Jung. There will be people listening who recognize themselves in this idea of exploiting yourself because you're working flexibly and they might have got into a pattern of doing that. What practical things could they do this week, this month to stop that exploitative element of flexible working and actually reap the benefits of it. Okay, so I'm just going to focus right now on, on, let's say, 
working from home, which is a you know a, a big thing for everyone at the moment. So what are the good things about working from home is that you gain this incredible amount of time. For many of us, especially commuting into London, that's the commuting time is about 90 minutes per day, if not longer. And that accumulates for five days a week. You know, it's it's a full working day plus. It's almost like for many, two working days. For those, especially living in commuter villages, it can be a, you know, three hours a day that you're saving. So that's fantastic, right? But you do get into a pattern of you kind of start works as soon as you get up. And then you stop knowing where to put that time boundary of when you stop. And you think you should be able to do it because, you know, you're not commuting. You're at home anyways. I'll just finish that off. I would like to give you a challenge of like, try stopping doing that. Try to maybe start your workday with, let's say, a little walk or something that, you you know, you move your body so that you don't go straight into your, your office. And have a clear boundary of work and rest. So maybe have a proper lunch break, not in front of your computer, and have a proper end of day at a decent time, not at eight o'clock, but like a five o'clock and have a proper break and see how your productivity changes. So really having those clear boundaries. Also for women, I want to highlight the fact that given our societal norms about having women in heterosexual relationships as the main carer of children and housework, you're going to feel that you want to squeeze in as much housework and childcare while working flexibly. The multitasking is going to stress you out. You're going to feel like stretched in both ends and you might not have enough leisure time at the end of it because you're going to try to squeeze everything in. Stop doing that. Just stop doing that. Just because you can do all of it doesn't mean that you should be doing all of it. Obviously, when you're working from home, still give yourself those strict boundaries of your working time and your work day. Let your partners sort it out. You have to have difficult conversations with your partners to be like, you know what, just because I'm working from home and maybe your partner isn't, that you should be doing all of that housework and childcare. Encourage your partners to have that difficult conversation with your managers to be able to work from home. A lot of people in London right now, a lot of companies are asking workers to come back. And those workers who are coming back are mostly men right now. We have to stop that. We have to stop this straight away because we are going to have a two-tiered labor market. <laughs> so managers need to wake up to this, but also within the family, you need to have those difficult conversations. Men have to put their neck out there because women are doing already because there's no other way of doing it to try to juggle everything, right? But men have to put their neck out there and Brace themselves for those difficult conversations with managers. And again, for men, men use this as an opportunity to come back to the household, engage with your children. Because my other research looking at time use data in the UK shows that when men are actually engaged more with children, you're going to be so much more happier. <laughs> like we see that men's well-being just increases so much when they spend more time with children. And when your partner is not stressed out because she's doing everything in heterosexual relationship, obviously, like you will be happier as well. Relationship satisfaction will increase and you will be happier when your partner is happier. So this is not just for, let's say, her or you know, the family is for you. It is for you. Let's encourage men to be happy by letting them or encourage them to have flexible working opportunities. I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't agree more. At the very beginning, I was very surprised. So when we designed this fellowship program, I talked to lots of different people. And one brilliant person, B. Stevenson, told me, you must put some forced conversation in there for couples. And exactly that's what we've done. We don't call it forced conversations for couples, but it is quite a useful workshop also for the partners. But, <laughs> you know, just having the conversation saying, well, actually, we do know that there's a punishment for working part time at the moment. 
not all flexible working is part-time, but that's one form. There's a clear pay punishment for that. Who is going to take that? What do we want as a family? What's our hope for a family? What do you want? How do you want to relate to the children? All that. And those are important conversations. And trust me, we're recording this very closely to Valentine's Day. And that's yeah. a much, much more romantic conversation to have than bringing flowers, in my opinion. That is the most... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God, man. If you want to give your wife something this year, like, or your partner something this year, give her the gift of you working from home two, three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> and as you say, it's probably a gift for them as well. So I think we just need oh, to smash... Yourself, all, yeah. we, we really need to smash all these assumptions about how good you can be and how you can progress your career. And, and we need to have more people who are progressing their careers while working at home. Yeah, and also just it. to highlight that for men, they might be like, oh, yeah, but then I won't get that promotion. I won't get that income rise that I expected to. But you know what? What's going to happen is your partner will be able to gain it, right? So you stepping in at home will help your partner, your female partners to step up in the labor market or at least decrease the discrimination that they'll face, which will then mean that you will be equal earners, which will relieve you of that financial burden or responsibility, and equal carers, which will make you happier because father's involvement in, in care and, and those domestic responsibilities will just enrich your life more. Mm-hmm. Well said. I feel like you and I, we're convincing each other of uh, <laughs> what... Well, just that everybody else is convinced yeah, as well. Fair <laughs> enough. I agree. I agree. But I mean, last time, I think when I asked you to become a podcast guest at the very, very beginning, I think you weren't a professor yet. And here you are, you're a professor. So clearly you're living... Living yeah, and I, I, I guess, yeah, one of the things I say, you would say like role models, and I do try to be very, very clear that I don't work more than 37 and a half hours a week, which is what I'm contract, although academic contracts don't really have working hours inscribed in it, but I don't work these crazy academic hours of 60, 70 hours. I encourage no one to do that because those hours, majority of it is counterproductive. I work flexibly. I also am that couple, I'm that woman who is been shouting at my partner's boss and managers to let him work flexibly, making sure that he does the share. And, you know, again, for his own benefit, not just for me. So I'm not living the ideal life, so to say, but I hope that me being able to be productive while working flexibly and working shorter hours can maybe be a testament for some to show like, you know what, maybe this is a way to way forward that is all so inspirational it really is and I think by the way I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that conversation when your partner went well my wife is doing this research on flexible work and it's actually really productive so by the way can I have it (laughs) that sounds like a very interesting conversation to have (laughs) but I think there's something in there about the 37 and a half hours you are the only academic who's ever told me that they're doing that and I know quite a few So I think this is such an important call and we've mentioned it about productivity, but also sometimes it's a habit and it's what is expected by the organization. But I really encourage anyone listening, if you feel that would be the right thing for you to do, then to just experiment. Even less. There's so few hours in the day. Do we want to spend all of that at work? Because I think we as individuals, we're so multifaceted in the contribution we can make to our societies. And I feel like there's too much emphasis at work. So we should actually even do less. And I think even by doing less, we could actually give back more. Exactly. But it's not going to be easy. And academia is a really good example because everyone is expected to work very long hours, but you've been promoted by working reasonable hours. And I think... That, for me, I would really love people 
listening to take inspiration from your old boss who said just experiment with going home on time and then seeing is that really so bad and it will be really tricky at first because you have to control your own fingers who really want to open that email app on your phone but just deinstall that email app from your phone and try it for a month and then if it doesn't work you can always go back I really love that that advice from your old boss and use that as a, a conversation for your managers as well or your partner's managers like let me try this for a month. And if you see that this isn't working for us, let's go back to it. But let's trial this, let's experiment this. And this is a really good time to do those experiments because we've had this really incredible disruption in the way we live and the way we work through the pandemic. And it would be such a waste of an opportunity to just go back to the way it was. So we've already had an experiment, large scale. So if we want to kind of introduce new ways, this is the time to do it. Agreed. Agreed. It's been absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast. I could Mm -hmm. keep talking to you for hours, but I think we have to come to an end. Thank you so much. Now, you've sent me a preview of your book, which I've really enjoyed, but is it out already? It's be out on the 4th of March from Policy Press. You could get that. And if you sign up to the Policy Press mailing list, you could get a 35% discount on the book. So it will be reasonably priced. It'll be out in paperback next year. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, it's been wonderful to have you on. Let's keep talking. Um, And well done for this important work. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. I've really appreciated you listening all the way to the end. So hopefully that means you found it useful. As I mentioned in the beginning, applications are closing on 1st of March, but we haven't made any decisions yet about hardship fund spaces. So if you need one of those, you've got plenty of time to get your application in. There's only one intake this year though. So if you do want to join then please apply now. It is for you if you have young children and if you want to progress your career. If that applies to you, then you should definitely consider applying. We're looking for people who are really keen not just to progress your own career but also to support others and be part of a transformational really supportive community of peers who want to be the change for others really and and not just drive change for their own career but for the wider society on a practical level over the course of this nine month fellowship you will work with a senior leader mentor who has experience of bringing up children whilst progressing their career you'll get support to develop your vision and plan for your career and family life in small group sessions. You get access to the latest research on what causes career progression and how to implement this practically in the context of looking after young children. You get sessions to support with really practical things like workload management, as well as workshops with your partner and your line manager, if you happen to have one, obviously not everyone does, and access to inspirational role models. This is a really transformational program I think so do consider applying if it's up your street what many people don't know is that we have also got a group for children for parents of children with primary school age so definitely don't just apply if you have toddlers or preschoolers or babies and also for the very first time we have a truly international group so if you're listening to this outside of the UK in Europe Africa the east coast of the US or Southeast Asia then we will have a a session that fits with your time zone and as I mentioned there are some hardship fund spaces available for those in financially challenging circumstances because as a social enterprise we're really about supporting people to progress their career regardless of their background and if you found the podcast helpful you could do something to help me out because I've got a couple of dream guests for example Bernie Brown but they 
will need even more listeners. I've really loved seeing the listener numbers grow. And thank you so much to all of you who've shared the podcast. But if you could share just with one more person that you think would benefit from hearing this, then I would absolutely love that. So maybe share it via WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, whatever you're using, or just in the good old fashioned way um, when you next meet your friend. Until next time, have a wonderful week.